And welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Farah Fight, and I'm the host of this episode, which is being recorded from the 2020 National Conference of Bar Presidents Mid-Year Meeting. Joining me now, I have two great guests. The first is Dee Dee Moses, and the second, Judge Michael Burton. Welcome to the show. Thank you. All right. Before we get started, we'd love to learn a little bit about each of you. Um, could you tell us where you work and what you do? Let's start with Dee Dee. I am an assistant U.S. attorney at the U.S. Attorney's Office in Connecticut. I handle primarily civil rights cases, but I also handle affirmative fraud cases. And I've been with the um, U.S. Attorney's Office, which is part of the Department of Justice, for over 10 years. Um, I also am the immediate past president of the Connecticut Bar Association and a former president of the Crawford Black Bar Association. Fantastic. And Dee Dee, you're also of counsel for the National Conference of Bar Presidents and helped coordinate the program that we're going to be talking about today, correct? That is correct. We had a great time working with you, Sarah. All right. And Judge Burton, presiding judge of St. Louis County, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how uh, I roped you into being part of the mid-year meeting? Well, I'm still wondering about that, but um, my name is Mike Burton. I have been a judge here in St. Louis County for 22 years. Um, St. Louis County is the largest county in the state of Missouri. We have about a million uh, people in our county. Um, prior to my uh, joining the bench, I was a criminal defense attorney, um, primarily uh, addressing death penalty cases. I also did a lot of work for uh, the family court uh, as a guardian at Leiden. Wow. All right. Well, thank you both for joining us today. Uh, we're here to discuss impossible innovations out of crisis. That was the theme for our opening plenary of the mid-year meeting for the National Conference of Bar Presidents. And Judge Burton was willing uh, to share with the entire um, group of bar leaders from across the United States and even other countries um, efforts that they've undertook during the pandemic to address access to justice in St. Louis County. So um, thanks for sharing your experiences, and hopefully we can all learn from the way that you designed your ideas um, and how we could implement those in our own jurisdictions. So let's begin with Judge Burton. Can you tell us a little bit about St. Louis County? It's unique for many reasons, and, and I'm sure our listeners would, would like to understand that better. Certainly. St. Louis County is the sixth wealthiest county uh, in our state, but there are portions of uh, our county, specifically in West County, that are incredibly affluent. The, the portion of uh, St. Louis County that really has significant challenges is that portion that is north of Highway 70. That Highway 70 basically um, cuts the, the county uh, into two uh, going east-west. Um, and North County specifically has, um, you know, well over 40 different municipalities, uh, many of which um, 
are, are facing significant uh, poverty challenges. One of the biggest uh, problems that we've been dealing with is trying to address the fact that just to get to Clayton, which is where our county seat is, um, is extremely difficult, in, in particular um, because of limited uh, public transportation and because we are in an affluent uh, city itself, parking is expensive and uh, just finding parking can be a real challenge as well. And so really the the innovative ideas that St. Louis County undertook um, maybe in, in which were sped up because of the pandemic um, really go to access to justice and the fact of literally the ability of citizens of St. Louis County being able to um, make it to court and do so in a way that it was not incredibly disruptive or overly burdensome or expensive to them. No question. It's been a, a challenge that we've had way before the pandemic, of course, and a very large percent, I think we want to say 85% of the tenants and landlord tenant matters uh, came from North County uh, and a very high percentage of petitioners uh, seeking orders of protection come from that area as well. And we always heard about the, the difficulties uh, in just getting to court for purposes of getting a ex parte order of protection uh, and just in coming to court to uh, respond to uh, a uh, eviction challenge is always been a, a real difficult uh, situation for many of our uh, residents. Didi, I know that in your role as president of the Connecticut Bar Association, you are one of the first bars to adapt to virtual um, meetings and virtual activities. And with St. Louis County going that direction, do you want to um, dive into some of the ins and outs of what that looks like? Yeah, so we actually made a concerted effort at the beginning of my bar year to plan the meetings that would be virtually. Um, the pandemic had not been it, had come up or there was no issues regarding, you know, transmission of any virus of any type. But what we recognized was that lawyers in different parts of the state, um, lawyers who were younger, lawyers who had disabilities couldn't get to meetings and they couldn't be part of the larger bar. And so what we realized is that we needed to make some um, changes to how we operated in order to be more inclusive as a bar association. And so we started to talk about different ways. Can I guess not a big state, but during you know rush hour time periods, it can be it can feel like you're driving across the state of Texas. And so um, what we did was we started to plan virtual events. And some people definitely were not excited. Some people thought I was kind of crazy and were wondering how we were going to pull it off. But I think that when the pandemic hit, a lot of people recognized that we were in a, good, a better spot than we would have been in because we had already been thinking through this. Um, my year as president-elect, we tested some of the technology. We had a couple of Zoom meetings. We kind of test tried um, some of the different ways it would work and ways it wouldn't work. And so we had, a, we had some functional knowledge of what was possible. Um, and so we, when we had to go virtual and the pandemic first hit in um, early March, um, our staff at the CBA, which is, they're phenomenal. 
they were ready to go. And they were able to switch to a virtual platform very, very quickly. Um, because even prior to my year as president, they had been urging the CBA to utilize the virtual technology that we had at our um, fingertips. And so I think that we're still in the testing phase. You know, we tried out Zoom, we're trying out Microsoft Teams. And I think one of the things that Judge Burton mentioned and other people have mentioned before is, you know, the importance of being flexible in the space and trying to trying things out and being open to making adjustments and changes to what you've been doing in the past if you recognize that it's, it could be beneficial. One of the aspects of the plenary program um, that you're both involved in producing and speaking at was um, looking at design thinking and critical design thinking and how to follow those steps to implement um, innovations um, in the legal sector. And it, it, the first step is um, identifying the users and making sure that they're your focus. So Didi, it looks like you guys identified your members as the users and looking at their needs. Judge Burton, the same with St. Louis County, but identifying the actual users, the parties who are involved in cases as, as you know, your clients are the consumers of the legal system and focusing that. Um, and then the next step of that is to build a prototype and test it. So, Didi, you just explained how you guys were testing out with Zoom. Judge Burton, can you tell us about the first test um, that you guys did or how you first implemented um, virtual proceedings in St. Louis County? Well, the the process itself was was fairly simple to, to get started. Um, we, we knew that right away that Zoom and then ultimately for us WebEx was the way to go. And that seemed to work fairly well. We really thought, uh, and we were patting ourselves on the back thinking, you know, this opportunity uh, is, is, is reaching more people than, than we thought. We really had some the challenges uh, for very long periods of time in the, the family court in particular and in probate court. Uh, many times the, the parties would uh, not live close by, uh, live out of state. And we started seeing that we were able to reach people that uh, hadn't been um, you know, part of the, the meetings before, specifically uh, in the family court where we were looking at uh, finding adequate kinship placements for children that have been abused and neglected, uh, we were reaching folks in a way that we hadn't before. And we really thought things were working well. And then we started getting a lot of meetings that involve phone calls and really sat and took a step back and said, this is not due process. This is completely inappropriate. So we, we knew that we, we had to come up with uh, plan B. And, you know, that just was not something that was going to, to completely replace what we were doing because process was working. It just wasn't reaching as, as many people as we had hoped. And then we took some additional steps. What was it like for each of you? And let's begin with Judge Burton and then go back to Didi um, to take your mindset of, you know, you, Judge Burton, as a judge and Didi, you as a bar leader who's highly engaged in your bar associations um, and switch that mindset 
to the users that you're trying to build a better system for. So how do you how do you place your change your point of view to try to think on behalf of um, users of the of the justice system, Judge Burton and Didi, your bar members or even potential bar members? Well, it was very easy to step into the shoes of people that were trying to have access to our hearings. So just participating in a, a Zoom docket call made it very apparent that there were a lot of people that were not able to participate in the process uh, in ways that uh, they'd been able to before the pandemic. Clearly, people would come into the the proceeding if they were even able to do that and just had absolutely no idea what was going on in part because they couldn't see anybody uh, and then you add that to the fact that there were all these challenges with bandwidth and and the like where people would be calling in 10 15 different times during a docket because they either weren't hearing anything or just got disconnected constantly. Didi, what were some of the um, ways that you tried to take on the mindset of your potential users and shifting to a virtual environment for your bar members? So pre-pandemic, we tried to start very slow because you didn't have the, not everyone appreciated what it was like. As Judge Burton said, it was very easy for me to step in the shoes of a young attorney or you know, someone who lived across the state because I travel across the state for my job. I've sat in traffic for hours and hours and got into a meeting disheveled and, you know, stayed there for a half an hour and got to do it all again. So I experienced that a lot. And I have a young son who is um, five. Um, and so just trying to balance, you know, his life with my life, you know, I kind of, I, it was easy for me to empathize. What I recognized is that there were parts we were missing. So there were parts that I could see, but I recognized there was parts we couldn't see. And the other part we couldn't see were for the older members of our bar who probably would feel a little bit put out by some of the technology that they probably weren't familiar with, hadn't really thought about downloading. And so we decided to start very slow because we didn't want to include some people and exclude others. But then the pandemic hit. And I think the need to go virtual overshadowed all of the issues that people were having and the opportunity to jump head in and just go for it presented itself. And um, thank God we had, you know, such a great staff at the Connecticut Bar Association and such great members who really just stepped up, our committee members, our section members, the leaders of the CBA just stepped up with really, really amazing, creative virtual programs and events to keep the bar going. And, you know, that all hands on deck approach, I think is really what made it truly amazing to watch and experience. Um, but it was, it was ushered in by the pandemic. So in some ways, I think we needed this, you know, we needed this experience to kind of drag us kicking and screaming into the current century. Cause I don't think we would have gotten here this quickly without the pandemic. So one of the things that like a light bulb just went on or it was that aha moment for me and sitting through the plenary when we were learning about critical design thinking was that it shouldn't be done in a vacuum. And I'd love for each of you to talk about how you, um, you know, you were testing your process, but then you recognized uh, it was time to have more of an interdisciplinary approach. 
to the way that you examined what was working and what wasn't. Didi, could you talk to us about collaboration? You mentioned some of your committee and section chairs and the staff being on board. Were there others that you collaborated with or even, you know, reaching out to other states to see what was working for them and maybe what wasn't? Yeah, so I am from a big family, so I believe in the power of collaboration and leaning on people. <laughs> um, I live by those values. And so we leaned on every single person we could touch and find. Um, our staff, obviously, were at the forefront of it, but we leaned on our section leaders. We had um, Friday meetings with them just so we could be on the same page. We leaned on the local bars, um, the affinity bars. We held programs with them. They were part of our COVID-19 task force. So we were bouncing ideas off of them, getting feedback from them. We leaned on the state and federal courts. We had great working relationships with them. We were helping them with CLEs and programs so people can get educated very quickly on the virtual platforms they were using. We helped the state court with obtaining feedback from the bar as they were rolling out their virtual programs and platforms. And we talked extensively with the young lawyers and more experienced members of the bar about their experiences and making sure that they have the technology and the resources available to them to really be able to take advantage of a lot of the very quick changes that were happening. And I think that, you know, we'll see. Time will tell how this all plays out. But so far, I think it's been successful. Judge Burton, I know that You've shared that um, in some of those interdisciplinary meetings that the court started having, you walked in thinking that the court had the answers and came out sometimes thinking that it was, you know, your your mind was changed based on the conversations that had, that had taken place. Can you talk about um, what the benefit of having those meetings with those other agencies throughout the county and communities? Well, you were very diplomatic about the way you put that, Farah. I, I would say that when we had these meetings, so I could we could all point our fingers at all the different people at the table being the main problem, uh, we walked out of these meetings realizing we were a big part of the problem. And the, the great thing about where we went, and, and this is still an ongoing situation, we're, we, we've had one location that we're using. We're now moving on to looking at other possibilities as well. There, there are still so many more things that we can do to uh, make sure that people have access. But we had identified the spot. It seemed to be pretty clear that there was this location that would make sense in all regards. It just was trying to get the folks that, uh, you know, were from our county that, uh, you know, had this empty building to get us uh, to, you know, give us the permission to use it. Um, so I, I have a great mentor uh, in a, an old professor of mine, I, I should say a very youngish professor, but who's been there a while. Uh, and she uh, indicated that we really need to get to the grassroots here, get the various folks from the communities to uh, engage not only with us, but with folks from uh, the county that uh, could really lay it on about just how problematic it is uh, for people to not be able to participate uh, in these order of protection hearings and these landlord-tenant eviction uh, matters. And those were voices that were heard so much more uh, loudly and clearly uh, than anything that, that we were trying to get across. And 
at, at some point, all of a sudden, all the ducks were, were lined in a row and it seemed to uh, just fall into place that uh, we, we just had great people all the way around. But I, I think to get these folks from the county to agree that there was a problem ultimately um, occurred. And once they realized how big of a deal it was, uh, they were as cooperative and as supportive um, as anyone. And we have this really exciting opportunity now that just finally opened on Monday, a couple days ago, and we're we're now working on getting uh, and generating some uh, good PR because that's going to take a little while before we really start getting some business. But we're excited. So Judge Burton, can you tell us a little bit more about you know phase two of virtual proceedings for um, users of the court in St. Louis County? I know initially you guys offered, um, I think it was uh, coined the Zoom Garden in the lobby of the courthouse where those yes. without access to internet or technology could come to the lobby, socially distanced, walk up to a kiosk and participate. But now phase two, you're like literally taking... The, that idea, but spreading it throughout the county. Is that right? Yes, except we, we were actually in phase zero. And um, while we were in phase zero, we couldn't even let anyone in the building. Uh, now that we got back into phase one, we were able to resume our Zoom garden. And I'm not allowed to say that and use that term anymore. We're calling it our e-court area where people can come into our courthouse in Clayton and get set up with diff different kiosks and then get hooked into these proceedings. Now we're expanding to this new location that is in North County uh, that has uh, an incredible area of free parking uh, that is accessible by all of the, uh, the bus lines uh, with ease. And now our hope is that folks are going to use that in a way um, that will show everyone that we also need to continue to expand. Because even though this is in North County, we need more locations. And I'm not saying that uh, after day three, we're ready to, to move on, but we also really believe that um, other options um, will even be necessary. And I'm already meeting with some groups now to uh, start getting uh, folks to see how important that is. Congratulations on that opening too. Sorry, Didi, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what's, have you, have you been able to um, survey the attorneys? One of the things that we noticed in Connecticut, especially with changes, the branches made in the state and federal system. Um, some attorneys are more excited about the changes than others. Um, are you guys serving attorneys? What are they saying? What are their experiences? Have you had any blunders like we've seen with the cat filter? <laughs> um, any lessons learned? <laughs> I am a blunder magnet. So, um, yes, there's, you know, there are, you know, many blunders. And, and I think I expressed this uh, at our uh, last meeting um, that on our first occasion when we were just looking at this facility, uh, we all just walked in and we all started looking and pointing and all of a sudden all these people come forward from the county like, what in the hell are you doing here? And then when they heard about it, it put them on edge. They were not very interested in, in talking to us at all. So that process 
really was slowed down a bit before we were able to uh, to really engage and, and, and people see uh, what we were trying to do. I, I think people were afraid that we just came in and put our stakes up and said, okay, we're ready to roll. And that bull in the china shop approach, uh, which is something I've mastered a bit, is not something that works at all. So Judge Burton, I know historically judges used to travel the circuit. Do you think technology is now allowing you to travel the circuit in a modern way? It's a great way of looking at it. There's folks here that, that think a few of us um, could really get a lot out of a justice bus. Uh, and they, they still think that they're afraid that I'm, I'm ready to get that started. But, uh, you know, uh, give it a couple of years and, uh, and we'll see where the needs are. But what I love about you know, whoever says this, what I love about the pandemic, I'm not, I don't mean it in that way, but the silver lining that's there is huge because this is giving us a, a chance to try things that I don't think we would have done before or we wouldn't have had as much buy-in before. And my hope is that this new uh, setting in Northwest Crossing in North County is going to be a huge success uh, I, I really feel uh, very confident of that, which reminds me, I didn't respond to Didi's question about the attorneys getting the buy-in. Uh, and I apologize about that. As far as the buy-in goes, the attorneys that we're really dealing with are not as many because right now, most of what we're dealing with are pro se folks and, you know, getting, uh, you know, access, but the, the folks from legal services, the folks from uh, the public defenders system, the folks from different domestic violence advocacy groups are, are very supportive. But the pri many of the folks that we deal with in the private bar uh, haven't really uh, been exposed yet to a, a lot of what we're doing and, and probably won't need to other than to be mindful of the fact that when they represent landlords that they can tell the tenants that they see have some challenges about this facility in Northwest Cross. And we hope that happens. Didi, you said that you guys are now examining kind of additional ways and platforms of how to communicate. Could you share a little bit about that and also share any advice for other bar leaders who are looking to expand on maybe what they just thought they were temporarily putting in place when the pandemic started um, and how to make virtual, um, you know, a positive engagement that's lasting for their bar associations? Right. So I think that, you know, we started pre-pandemic, a state of the, state of the legal profession task force. Um, that was looking at the changes the bar needs to make in order to become relevant and um, address the massive access to justice gaps that we've been seeing. One of the things that the task force recommended doing and the membership committee had been thinking about doing was surveying our members, um, but also surveying the public and finding out from the public, you know, are we doing our job as attorneys, right? The courts are one thing, but are attorneys doing their jobs? Are we doing our, their jobs and getting them the information they need? Are we being effective in our advocacy? Is there anything they'd like to, from the bar for us to do in order to make them feel like attorneys are actually here to work for them? I mean, when I graduated from law school, I wanted to save the world. So the question is, are we actually doing that? Are we making the world a better place for the public or are we missing massive groups? And so one of the things that we're working on doing uh, right now is we've collected data from our members 
And now we're talking about focus groups and um, other outreach that we can do to collect real statements, real concerns, real comments from the community, not on just what's happening in the courts, but also what's happening in the bar at large and how lawyers are actually serving them. And I recommend, honestly, if I could do it again to other bars to do that first. I think that if we had done that first, it would have saved us a lot of time. It probably would have redirected where we went in terms of what we, what we did first and what we did second. And it probably would have given us some leverage to really push a lot of these technologies a lot earlier on. I think also one of the things we learned is that there's something, there is something called Zoom fatigue. It's like a real thing. Um, you don't want to be virtual all the time and having a 100% virtual platform is probably not the solution. Um, the theme for my bar year was balance for a better legal profession. And I think we do have to find that balance. There are certain things that are just better in person and there are things that are better remote. And so I think one of the things that we have to do is play with that and try to figure out where that balance lies. You know, when you're trying to weigh a scale with things on a scale, you're constantly moving items back and forth, taking items up, putting items down. I think that's what we have to do. We have to give ourselves the space to um, play with some of these scales and figure out what works for each bar. And it's going to be different. You know, what, have, what works in one part of the country may not work in another. And so we just have to reach out to each other like we've been doing through NCDP. NCDP is the great resource for all bars to kind of see what other bars are doing, kind of look at their resources, try different things out, see what works, see what doesn't, and, and share with other bars what did work so people can benefit from that, you know, that, that think tank that that NCDP is. Thank you, Didi. Great suggestions there. Judge Burden, any advice to other jurists who are, um, you know, finding that they are virtual, thought it was going to be temporary, and now a year later, still in the same um, uh, pickle, or for members of the bar and bar leaders who may be listening to this about how they can coordinate or um, be collaborative with the courts and finding solutions to access to justice during this time and, uh, you know, fortunately well into the future? Well, I would say that for me, the advantage of having a whole group of young, progressive, forward-thinking judges, uh, and I wish I could include myself in that category, but I can't, uh, but just having, you know, a great group of people that are, are so uh, well-versed on the technology uh, and, and really are thinking in ways I could never even imagine. I, you know, I, I just know that I had a very simple uh, idea with a few groups of judges about where our needs were about looking at other buildings, but the, you know, the need for other people that are in your circle to, to provide you with, you know, all these innovative ideas really makes a huge difference. And it's just making sure to listen. I remembered quite well as a parent that had teenagers that that was not my uh, strong point. I was often reminded of that fact and just working on listening to the great ideas that uh, the people have. I, it sounds so basic, but it's something that I, I think as judges, we, we often don't do. Great advice. Is there anything else that either of you would like to add before we wrap up this episode? No, I'd like to thank you 
um, putting this together. Thank you, Josh Burton, for being part of not only this podcast, but also the NCBB program. I think so many people benefited from hearing from you and learning, you know, different ideas that they can bring back to their local organizations and their um, courts. And thank you very much. Um, I, I, I wish I could take all the credit about some of the very limited things we've done here, but it, it takes a village and, and we've got a great village here in St. Louis County and I'm, I'm so proud to be part of it. And thank you for uh, including me for sure. All right. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you, Judge Burton and Dee Dee Moses. Uh, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh-huh.